Wasn't that wonderful worship this morning? Amen. Don't you appreciate all the work that Pastor Kristen, the worship team, and those in the sound booth, and uh, working all the different things just so uh, they could just present the wonderful message of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to you in a way that I hope has encouraged you, challenged you, and uh, the service still isn't over. If you're here this morning and you're not free, the Lord wants to set you free. If you don't know Jesus Christ, He wants you to know Him. If you do know the Lord, but you've just been kind of lukewarm or apathetic or in 50%, He wants to set you free from that apathy and lethargy. He wants you to be fully alive in Him. He's here to do that this morning. You know, Easter is probably one of the most challenging times of the year, stressful times for a preacher to preach. Because it's one of those two or three weeks a year when people who normally don't go to church, they come to church. Uh, maybe you're here because you know, accepted somebody's invitation, you want to get them off your back so you finally came. Or, you know, once a year you come because your mother or mother-in-law, you got to stay in their good books, so you, you come to church, whatever. And so pastors know that. So when they get ready to preach and to put the sermon together, they're racking their brain trying to think, well, what can I preach? What can I say? What, what kind of things can I say that might actually convince this person that Jesus Christ really is worthy of their full devotion? That they really need to know Jesus and the change he can bring into their lives. So that's a lot of stress. That's a lot of pressure. Well, this Easter Sunday, it just so happens this past month, if you're following along in our Bible reading plan here at Glad Tidings, in the New Testament, we have been in the, Luke, in the, in the book of Luke, or as my, uh, my Irish friend Tom used to say back in Newfoundland, the book of Luke. That's what he would call it, the book of Luke. And, um, and in the book of Luke, there's some really interesting stories, particularly when Jesus is faced with the crowd. But what I notice Jesus does when he's faced with the crowd is actually the exact opposite of what I would do. So that's not too encouraging for me, but there's a lesson in it for all of us this morning. For example, when people by the thousands would gather on a few occasions to hear Jesus speak, he would actually say things in a way that they wouldn't understand. He would say things in a way that they would actually maybe kind of leave confused. He didn't make things easier. He actually made it more difficult. And we have an example in Luke chapter 8, beginning to read at verse 4. We have the scripture on the screen. We read this, Luke says, People kept coming to Jesus from one town after another. And when a great crowd gathered, Jesus told this parable. Once there was a man who went out to sow grain. As he scattered the seed in the field, some of it fell along the path where it was stepped on and the birds ate it up. Some of it fell on rocky ground. And when the plants sprouted, they dried up because the soil had no moisture. Some of the seed fell among thorn bushes, which grew up with the plants and choked them. And some fell in good soil. The plants grew and they bore grain. 100 grains each. And then Jesus concluded, listen then if you have ears to hear. And that was it. And he just walks away. Can you imagine if I was to announce this morning that we have Jesus booked for next Sunday? And we advertise and we get on social media, get the word out, everybody, everybody, Jesus is going to be here, and odds are this is not going to be a large enough place to house him, so we're going to be out in the concert field where it can you know, hold maybe 100,000 people. We're going to be out there, and Jesus is going to appear. And so the day finally comes, 
and there's tens of thousands or a hundred thousand people out in the field. They've traveled for miles, for hours, maybe days to get here because they've heard this incredible news that Jesus is going to speak. And they've been queuing up for days and hours just to get the perfect spot to hear what he has to say and maybe see him perform some miracles. And finally the moment arrives. And Pastor Kristen leads us in worship and opens up the time. And I get the microphone and I say, I'm so glad to be able to announce to you that Jesus is here, my friend. Let's give it up for Jesus. He's going to come and speak to us. And so Jesus walks up and he takes the microphone. Probably doesn't need it. He's God, but he takes the microphone. And he says, I got to tell you a story. There was a farmer. The farmer went out and he scattered seed. Some of the seed landed on the sidewalk. The birds came along. They ate it up. Uh, some of the seed fell among the rocks and the stones. Not much soil there, so it sprouted a little bit, but didn't have strong roots. The sun came out, so it shriveled up and died. Uh, some of the seed fell among thorns and weeds, and it grew for a little bit, but then the, the weeds and thorns grew too, and eventually they choked the life out of that plant, so it died. And then there was some really good soil that the seed happened to fall on, and it took root, and it grew up, and it multiplied itself a hundred times. If you understand what I'm saying, great. If not, see you later. I'm going. Can you imagine what you would think? Can you imagine what the disciples must have thought that day when Jesus pretty much did that same thing? They must have thought, no, Jesus, wait a minute. What in the world are you doing? We have thousands of people here. We've got a movement here. We've got this great crowd that has traveled great distances to come and hear you. And that's all you're going to say. It goes on in verse 9, Luke writes, His disciples asked Jesus what this parable meant. And he answered, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to the rest it comes by means of parables, so that they may look but not see, and listen but not understand. A story is a parable. A parable, rather, is a story. And you may wonder, why did Jesus use parables? Why did he use stories? Well, I was always told, growing up, and I was also told in seminary, that a parable is actually an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Does that make sense? In other words, Jesus wanted to teach spiritual truths from God to ordinary people, so he used ordinary stories, illustrations, scenarios that people could relate to because he wants them to understand. The problem with that definition is that that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that he spoke in parables, he spoke in stories, said, so that although people hear him, they won't get it. <laughs> he didn't take homiletics, the art of communicating. Because what does that mean, Jesus? Why would you say that? You, in other words, you spoke in a way that people would not understand. You spoke in a way that would actually kind of confuse people. Why would you do that? And he says this, so that, so that, like the disciples, those who are following me, people would actually want to come after me to understand what I just said. Does that make sense? I spoke this way so that their curiosity would be piqued, at least those who are hungry, and that those who really wanted to understand, they would come after me and I would spend time with them. Those are the people I want to talk to because those are the people who actually want truth. And that's what it's going to take for somebody to really follow me, to really be my disciple, to really 
do what I've done to really be a person of the kingdom of God. That's what it's going to take, that kind of hunger, that kind of heart. I love the rest of the crowd, but they might as well go home if that's not their heart. In fact, this particular parable that Jesus tells, he actually tells to illustrate that very point, uh, to, to elaborate on exactly what it means for somebody. I don't mind the blinking light, it's nice. It just makes me feel important. I'm just waiting for the backup singers to come and kind of back me up here. But Jesus elaborates on this, and he tells the disciples that the seed is actually the word of God. And then he says, guys, this is what this story that I've just told actually means. He says, some people, when they hear the truth, when they hear the truth about God, when they come into a service like this and they, they sing all those wonderful songs and, and read all those wonderful words, some people are kind of like, well, that's good, but I'm not really into God. I'm just here because it's Easter. I'm just here to, you know, keep the mother happy. I'm just here to accept an invitation. That's, that's why I'm here. Jesus said, for people like that, he said, they're not really going to get it. You don't water a sidewalk. You don't water a brick wall. And so I really can't waste a whole lot of time uh, on that. Then he goes on to say that there's others who are like rocky ground. Those are people who hear the message, who hear the truth, and they say, that makes sense. I want that. I want Jesus. I understand what he did for me. And they say, yeah, I want God in my life. And so they accept God into their life, and they begin to grow a bit. But eventually something happens, something comes along, life gets difficult, something happens to them, something doesn't go their way, and they start to think, well, if God was real, how come this happened? If God really loved me, then why is he not answering this particular prayer? And Jesus says, for that kind of person, they're not going to make it. They're not going to make it. He says, there's also seed that falls among the weeds. And he says, those are people who want God, and, and if I could draw the analogy today, the church is full of people like that who want God. They believe the message. They believe he loves them. They believe what he did for them through Jesus on the cross. And so they want God, but they still want everything else. So God is just kind of in a box in their life. We call that being compartmentalized. And so Jesus is in their life. He's kind of in a box. He's there for security purposes, but he never really affects anything else or not that much in their life. He never kind of bleeds out into the other areas of their life. And so he says, the reality for those people, they may even be in church and they, they've done all the Christian stuff, but the reality is they're never going to grow. They're never going to grow, so I, I really don't waste a lot of my time with them. He says, but then there's the good soil. The good soil is that person who has really gotten it, who really understands who Jesus is, who really understands their need for him, and they are so absolutely blown away by who he is and what he has done for them and what he has for them that they willingly say, Jesus, you can have everything. I gladly just give up everything in order that I can have you. I just want you. Jesus says, those are the people I spend my time with. Those are the people that I water. Those are the people who spend time with me. Those are the people who actually grow and experience the abundant life that I've talked about and, and the joy that I promised them and the real freedom they can walk in. Because you see, the farmer, he doesn't water the sidewalk. He doesn't water stones and gravel. He doesn't water the weeds. He just waters the good soil. He only waters the good soil. The rest is the waste of time. And so that's what Jesus was saying to the crowd. He says, I love all of you, but I'm not going to stand here and try to convince y'all. 
I'm not going to waste my time just trying to be everything you want me to be. I'm not going to let you just put me in a box and just, you know, be a God who's all-powerful, who's just there for you to use when you need Him. That's not who I am. That's not who God is. That's not what a walk with God is about. If that's what you're after, then you really don't want what I have to offer. But if you do want it, then you'll come after me. And if you come after me, you'll get it. And if you get it, it'll change your life. I want to ask you a question this morning, and I want you to really honestly think about this. And the question is this. How badly do you really want truth? Not do you know it, have you heard it. How badly do you actually want truth? Do you want truth bad enough that even if it goes against what you've always believed or what you're comfortable believing, you're willing to change because you realize you've heard truth? It's going to cost you something, but you want it. I think a lot of us, if we're really honest, we don't really want truth. Uh, we say we do, but I don't know if we really do. For example, most of us have comfort food that we really enjoy. You know, we have junk food. We have that special treat hidden in the cupboard. You know, hopefully no one finds that we go to in those times that we just really need a pick-me-up. And so, you know, I don't know what yours is, just whatever it is. Mine, it, it, it's honey garlic pepperoni. I don't know if you like pepperoni. I love pepperoni. I could eat pepperoni by the pound. I don't because, I, honestly, there's about 500 calories in a two-ounce slice. I realized that one day after eating just a little pack. I thought I should check out how many calories, in it, and I ate like 6,000 calories. There are literally 500 calories in a two-ounce slice. Now, the reality is I love honey garlic pepperoni. I know there's a lot of calories, but I don't know what is in pepperoni. And the truth be told... I don't want to know what's in pepperoni, okay? I, I mean, I don't know what animal it comes from. I don't know if it comes from an animal. If it, if it does, I don't know what part of the animal, you know? And, and you look at it, you cut it open, and it's like you've got little white spots and little clear spots inside. I just, you know, to me, that's just added vitamins and minerals. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But I don't want to know. I'm just happy to love my pepperoni. And you know what? Honestly, a lot of people are that way about God. A lot of people, you average, you know, talk to the average person today, and they still say statistically in North America, 90% of people will say there's a God. When you ask him what kind of God is he, most people will say, well, he's a loving God. He's a good God. He's a strong God. He's a loving and merciful God. And basically, I can kind of live life on my terms. You know, I believe that I can still do what I want as long as I don't hurt anybody then God's okay with that. Well, my question is, what if that's not true? Wouldn't you want to know that? I, I was talking to Pastor Kristen uh, not too long ago, and I think probably Chantel's in the same situation where she uh, works at a funeral home, and we're just talking about some of the funerals they have to sit through because Pastor Kristen will get a call sometimes to, uh, to play at a funeral. They don't have any music or whatever the case may be, and, and time and time again he goes to funerals where you know People don't know God. They don't know Christ. It's a wonderful opportunity to just introduce the presence of God and in worship. And, and so often people are just in, in awe uh, by a song Christian will sing or that Chantel will sing. And though they have beautiful voices, what it is, is the presence of God. That, that's what blows them away. Like we've never heard anything like this before. What they're saying is we've never felt this before. They feel, feel the presence of God. But they say it's amazing how many funerals you go to and what's being preached isn't the truth. 
Uh, how many funerals do you go to and, and you know Bob in the casket? <laughs> you know, you know Lori in the casket, who was ever in the casket, and everybody's giving up doing the eulogy and they're saying how great they are and, you know, had great parties and we did this together and that together. How, how we're going to have a great time in heaven together. You know, we're, they're going to a better place. They're in a better place now. But what if that's not true? What if they're not in a better place? Wouldn't you want to know if that's a lie? How badly do you want the truth? You see, most of us actually believe what we want to believe, and we actually do a lot of times what it is we feel like doing. Why is it? Because our system of belief, for most people, it's actually based on your desire. It's not based on truth. It's based about what you want to be true what you would like, giving your life, your situation, your strengths or weaknesses, whatever, your preferences, that's what I want truth to be. Well, that's, that's not what truth is because obviously your view is different from someone else's view, from their view, from their view. So they can't all be true. There's a truth. But oftentimes our desires are stronger than our desire for truth. And yet Jesus knows that every once in a while somebody comes along who is more concerned with knowing truth than they are with just staying comfortable or oblivious, and they embrace that truth in Jesus, they discover some things they maybe didn't want to believe at first, but now they believe, and they've been set free, and there's this whole new dimension of life they're experiencing now because they truly have laid hold of the truth. You know, one of the most famous lines ever written, ever spoken in Hollywood was in the movie A Few Good Men. Anybody see that? Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise, military court. Remember that? And Tom Cruise is grilling Jack Nicholson, trying to get him to break. And Nicholson says, what do you want? And he says, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson looks back at him and he snarls and he says, you want the truth? Say it with me. You can't handle the truth. That's concerning. <laughs> A lot of you have watched, watched the movies. Powerful line. It's so true. The truth. Do you really want to know the truth? Do you really want to know the truth about God? Do you really want to know the truth about who Jesus is and what he did? Jesus himself said this, you will know the truth and the truth. A lot of you know Jack better than you know Jesus. You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Even though you may not always want it, when you get the truth, Jesus says, it will set you free. And you'll be so glad that you got it. You see, the reality is most people lie to us all day long. They really do. People lie to you just day after day after day. People want you to believe that they're actually interested in what you have to say. And so they sit there and they nod. Yeah, right. You know, they say they actually agree with your opinion, however stupid it is. They just don't have the time or the energy to disagree. It's just, yeah, yeah, great, great. They actually laugh at your jokes. Even when you told them three and four times, they still laugh. They want to be polite. They tell you the things that you want to hear. But when it comes to really needing to know the truth, don't you appreciate a friend who you know will tell you the truth regardless? And don't you appreciate that? Ladies, how does this dress look? Right? Whatever the question may be, we all want someone who will tell us the truth. And that's what I love about Jesus. Jesus loves you and me enough to tell us 
the truth. Even though he knows the truth is going to make some people hate him. He knows the truth is going to get him crucified. But he loves you enough to tell you exactly like it is. He's not worried about what you're going to do to him. He's not even worried about whether or not you come back next week. He's just saying, here is the truth. I want you to receive it, but the choice is yours. There's another passage in Luke chapter 14. It's another time when Jesus has a crowd again. Now, I can kind of imagine the disciples. The disciples are thinking, okay, he blew it the first time. 5,000 people, whatever. They walked away. We finally got another crowd together. They've gotten over it. People are coming back. They're gathered around. Okay, Jesus, you got a second chance. Don't blow it. This is what Jesus says. He stands up. Luke says, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Imagine what the disciples are thinking. I can't believe he's doing this again. Jesus, listen, you probably don't realize this. When you get a big crowd, you're supposed to ease into this stuff. Maybe you start off with a joke. Start off with a good story. Kind of lighten them up a little bit. Kind of engage the crowd, you know, before you lay anything heavy on them. And yet here Jesus says, listen, you want to follow me? Let me just lay it down right now. You've been walking this distance with me. We're chatting. Let me just save you some, you know, some time and energy. Uh, if you want to follow me, then you've got to love me with a passion. A passion that by comparison, it was almost like you would, you would hate your own family. Like they're, they're just secondary compared to your love and devotion to me. If you don't love me more than you love your family member, then you're not worthy to follow me. And you know what? You might as well save yourself some time and just, just go now because you're not going to last. And so probably some people walk away. And then he says, and for those of you who are still with me, uh, you remember I just said you've got to carry your own cross because you see, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. And so if you're not willing to die with me, well, thanks for coming. I guess I'll see you later. And again, we read those words. And, and for those of us who are believers, we read the scriptures like that, and we kind of go through them quickly because in our mind, as we skim through, we're thinking, well, that's just hyperbole. You know, Jesus is just using exaggeration to make a point, right? Because after all, I mean, is Jesus serious that I have to almost like hate my children in comparison to my love for him? It doesn't, he's not saying that I can't love my children but in comparison to my love for him, my children come a distant second. Well, Jesus obviously doesn't know my children. <laughs> he hasn't seen their pictures. He doesn't know how cute they are. He doesn't know how much I love these kids and how much I pour at me. Obviously, it's an exaggeration. And as far as this hate your own life thing, I mean, he can't be serious if he's talking to me because, you see, I understand if he's talking to somebody else who maybe hasn't made as much as me or doesn't have the lifestyle I have, hasn't worked all their lives to gather all these things. You know, I mean, for me to give all that up, he must have been talking to the poor because they don't have a whole lot to give up. It's not a big stretch between, you know, them and nothing. For us, I mean, he must understand how important I am, how significant I am, all that I have. He can't be serious that I'd be willing to give all that stuff up if he asked me to in order to follow him. The question is, what if Jesus really was serious? 
What if Jesus really meant what he says? What if Jesus believes that God is so amazing that you should look at God, like we sang all this morning, that you should actually look at God, Jesus is saying, and, and realize, God, you mean you actually died for me? You, you mean you, you actually love me? I can actually be forgiven of my sin? I can be clean? I can have my, my shame and my guilt washed away? I can be healed in my heart and my mind in my relationships? You, you mean I can actually talk to you? I can walk with you? I can actually know you? Wow! Lord, if that is true, then you can have me. You can have everything about me. I will put you first before anything, anyone else. If that's really true, then you've got me. Sign me up. In Matthew 13, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid that treasure again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. Jesus says, you don't realize this because you're just kind of caught up in the rat race of life and you're pursuing so much stuff and filling your life with so much stuff. You know you're empty inside, but you just want, don't want to let it go. Listen, if you could just understand how amazing God is, if you could just understand the life that I'm coming to offer you, if you could just understand how free you can be, how purposeful your life can be, if you could just realize what a treasure God is and all that he is and offers you, then something would stir within you that would say, man, I've got to have it. I've just got to have this treasure. Everything else is secondary. And that's why Jesus says, this treasure that I'm offering, it's not just for everybody. It's for everybody, but not everybody's going to get it. Not everybody's going to receive it. Not everybody's going to experience its full potential. It's really only for those who are absolutely obsessed with it. That's who it's for. That's who gets it. That's who derives the fullest intention of it in their lives. That's the person who experiences it. That's the person who never for a moment thinks that following Jesus is boring because they get it. It's not everyone who says, yeah, I want that. For a lot of people, it's like, yeah, you know, I just kind of want a bit of God. Or we're going to start going to church because, you know, religion's probably good for the kids. They, they all need a little bit of, of religion. Jesus says, if that's the way you're thinking, this probably isn't for you. It's just not for you. Uh, you know, you'll start off for a while and you'll be gone in a few weeks. You'll be gone. You don't get it. But if you really get it, it'll change your life. You see, I believe in, in, in Christianity today, we spend so much time. It's like we're begging people to, re to receive God's gift. It's like we're dumbing everything down in church services. So we, don't, you know, we don't keep you too long. We don't ask too much of you. It's almost like a drive-through church service. You know, we, whatever we can do, just, you know, we're just trying to convince people. You know, would you just give Jesus a little try? Maybe more than once or twice a year. Would you come maybe three or four times a year to church? You know, would you open your heart to God a little bit? Or, or if you've been coming to church year after year, but you know, life is busy, the weather is nice, the kids are playing sports, the camping season has started. You know, if you could just fit God in like maybe two or three times a month rather than just once or twice. Maybe you could just fit a bit more in. And you know what? If you're really radical, maybe you could even just try to pray a little bit. Just try to talk to God. Maybe just open your Bible once in a while. That would be great. 
We cheapen who Jesus is when we beg people to follow Jesus. Friends, we are the ones who should be on our faces begging God, oh God, you did this for me? You died for me? You made a way for me to be forgiven? You made a way for all the guilt and all the shame to be erased from my life. You made a way to give me power over the lies of the devil that I could live free. You made a way for my life to realize its fullest potential, to really have an abundance of life. You did that for me. Oh, God, please, please, would you take me? What would it take? Take me, take me, anything it costs. Please take me. That's what our hearts should be. That's what we've been singing about this morning. That is the truth of it all. We worship an amazing God whose love is so beyond the love of any family member, your mother, your child, your in-law, your best friend. It doesn't matter. We worship a God who loved us so much that he died in my place as my substitute so I would not have to be beaten to death in eternity for my sin. He took that for me. That's how much he loves me. And that's why Jesus says, if you dare put God on par with anybody else or anything else, he says, I love you, but forget it. You might as well go home. You don't get it. You don't get it. Jesus says, you want me? Come after me. Come after me. He echoes the words in Jeremiah where the Lord says, you will seek me and you'll find me. That's my promise. When, say it with me, you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. I'm not far from you. I'm not hiding from you. But you've got to understand what a treasure I am. You've got to understand how great and amazing God is and how worthy he is of your full devotion. You've got to understand he not only loves you, but you can trust him. You see, if you don't trust him, you're not going to make it. You'll never last. There's too many things that come against you. But when you know the heart of God and you see all that he's done for you, nobody can take that away. The record is there. Its contract is written in blood. It's there for you. You can't deny it. But only you can choose whether or not it's that important to you and whether or not you want it. Do you want the truth? Do you want the treasure? Do you really want God? You see, the beautiful thing about this treasure is that it's free. It wasn't free to God. He paid with his life. But it's free to you. You can't earn it. Jesus did everything that he had to do to earn it for you. You can't earn it. But here's the key. In order to get it, you have to give up everything you have and everything you are. Let me say it again. You can't earn this gift. It's free. But to get it, you have to give up everything you are and everything that you hold dear. Now, you're probably thinking, Pastor, that doesn't make sense. How is it possible that it's free? I can't earn it. But at the same token, I have to give up everything to get it. Well, it does make sense when you understand this, that everything you are and everything you have and everything you could possibly give to God is not enough to pay Jesus what you owe him. Do you hear me? You offer him your life. What that means is, Lord, I, I just lay all my plans 
everything before you because I know your plans are so much greater than mine. You promised an abundant life. Here's all the stuff I chase after. Here's all the toys I have to buy, all the stuff I fill my life with. I know it still leaves me empty. So, Lord, I just give everything to you. My family members, Lord, I recognize that without you in my life, I am limited in how much I can love them, how I can serve them, how great my marriage can be, how great my family can be. Lord, I'm, try, I'm tired of trying to make it happen. I'm tired with this apathetic kind of marriage, whatever the case may be. Lord, I just kind of, I give it all to you. It's just, it's just all yours. So I give you all of that. I give you all all that I am, I give you my life, I give you my heart. When you've done all of that, God says, just out of truth, not out of spite, out of truth, listen, that's great, but I want you to understand, none of that even scratches the surface in the debt you owe me. So I want you to understand, you're not earning this. It's still a free gift, but here's how it works. When you come to God and you say, you can have it all, in light of all you've given to me, Jesus says, I agree to accept all that you give me, and then I will cover the difference. That's where grace comes in. You don't have enough to pay me. I'm not asking you to earn it. I'm just telling you this gift that I'm giving to you is so far beyond anything you can give me. And after you've given me everything, I'll make up the difference for the payment. When you accept Jesus, his invitation to follow him, you enter into a contract. That might sound like a heavy thing, but we actually come out on the good side of this contract. It's called a covenant relationship. What that means is that God promises certain things to us, and God cannot lie. He won't go back. Even in times that we trip up and fail, we are still able to receive forgiveness, be restored in our relationship, and continue walking with him. And so Jesus says, here's my side of the deal. You come to me, you give me everything, and what do I give you? He says, I'll wash away your sin. I'll wash away all your guilt, all your shame. I'll bring you into a relationship with God that you'll enjoy in this life, and it'll last forever. And I also give you the promise, I will always be with you. I will never leave you. I will never walk away from you. I will never reject you. I will always be here for you. That's my promise. And what does Jesus say? He said, what I'm asking on your side, your commitment is that you will trust me. You will trust my love for you. You will trust my wisdom. You will trust when you see what I've done for you that I have your good in mind. Anything I ask of you, it is for your good. You've got to trust me. I know better. I know more than you. You've got to trust my heart. You've got to be willing to hold my hand and say, Lord, I don't know why you're asking me to do this, but I trust you. I'm going to do it. So that Jesus says your commitment is wherever I lead you, you've got to promise you're going to go. Whatever I ask you to do without reservation, your answer is going to be yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I will do what you're asking me to do. I'll forgive the person you ask me to forgive. I'll pray for the person. I'll love the person. I'll, I'll, I'll confess this. Whatever it may be, whatever you, you shine your light on any area of my life, I will say, Lord, it's yours. Jesus says that's the contract. That's the promise. And through all of that, you will discover the abundant life. You see, a lot of the people make the mistake of believing that being a Christian or this faith thing, this God thing, is really about, well, you just receive God into your life, and you do all the receiving. You get everything. You know, you get God, you get his love, you get, you know, you get him there when you have a hard time, whatever. He's just there for you, and basically what your side of the deal is, is you just give him whatever's left over. So God has this plan, you may or may not do it. You know, God asks you something, you may or may not do it. You know, God wants your time, your resources, your passion, you know, he kind of gets what's left over. He says it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. He says, now you know the difference. And it's time to make an informed decision. Either give Jesus everything or just walk away. That really is the decision. And some of you have been in church for a long time. You know exactly what I'm saying. You know what it is to 
be in church, to be a Christian, to have said the sinner's prayer, whatever the case may be, but you know you haven't given everything to Jesus. And you know what it is just to live in that murkiness, that grayness, that kind of up and down, that whatever it may be, you don't really have the joy, you don't really have a passion for Christ, you don't really, you know, whatever. You don't have that fullness that he promises. You're sitting there saying, Pastor, I've lived this way for 30 years, 50 years. That's just kind of what I've always known. Jesus says, I love you, but I'm telling you, you're not growing, you're not going to make it. Because you don't even have a confirmation in your heart that you're a child of God. You think you are, you hope you are, but when push comes to shove, you don't know if I die tonight, I'm going to stand before God as my judge and my savior. You don't know. Jesus says, I want you to know, but if you're going to stay where you are that way, you don't know, and to be honest with you, you're not one of mine. If we said a couple weeks ago, you see, to know God is to know God. It's to know God. It's, it's, all, it's just that simple. Yeah, I can say I know my wife because I know my wife. I don't just know about her. I know my wife. But can I say that about God? He says, for those who know me, you see, those are the ones who have confidence in their heart. And you can know me. But to really know me, you've got to come to that place where you say, Lord, everything, it's yours. You are the treasure. I want you. I've had all this stuff. I just want you. How badly do you want truth? How badly do you want Jesus? Because you know what? Jesus only comes to those who want him. He loves you passionately. But he's given you a free will. He'll only come into your life if you really want him. And so maybe you're thinking this morning, well, Paul, it's just not a good time for me to follow Jesus right now. Well, I guess you better not. That's all I can say. I guess you better not. Or you say, Paul, you know, I, I, I want to surrender my life to Jesus, but in the natural, there's just still some things that I want to do that I, that I don't want to let go of. And if that's you this morning, and I, and I say with, with a great deal of love, I guess Jesus is not for you. He's just not for you. Because I'm not going to cheapen Jesus. I'm not going to offend Jesus so I don't offend us. Is that okay? Jesus says, this is how it works. If you really give me everything, you'll realize when you do that when you experience what I give to you, you realize you gave nothing. You gave everything in your eyes, but it's like this much compared to all that God wants to give you. And he says, until you come to that place and do that, then the expressions like an abundant life and joy and all those things, those are just words. You'll never experience it. But when you truly give yourself to me, I will set you free. I will set you free. Maybe you're like me, and you say, Jesus I'll do anything for you. I want to know you. I, I, I believe in standing on the word of God. I believe that we need to have scripture to back up what we believe and so on. But I got to tell you, there's, there's a part of me that's kind of emotional. I'm kind of one of those people sometimes that wear their emotions on their sleeves. You know, I'll go to a service and it's kind of like, Jesus, if you want me to stand on my head and spit nickels, I'll do it. <laughs> I don't care. Just give me a hand. Just somebody tip me upside down, tip me over and pour me out, whatever. Just, you know, give me a hand. I'll do it. Because, Jesus, you're my treasure. And in light of all that you've done for me, if you're asking me to do that, whatever, I'll do it. I'll do it. And Jesus says, that's good soil. That's where the seed takes root. That's where there comes a hundredfold harvest. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I've come to give you an abundant life. He says, I want you to be that seed that falls on good soil. I want you to have a heart that lays hold of the truth and says, wow, this is mind-blowing. I can't believe what you guys sang this morning. I can't believe the presence of God that I felt here this morning. I can't, I can't believe the joy. I mean, it's like people were actually having church. There was actually something going on here, like God was here. Like, how do I get this? Jesus says, it's all for you, but you've got to give up everything. And the prophet of old in Isaiah says, you know what? You realize when you give up everything, you look back and you realize everything was just a heap of old rags compared to the glory of what God gives to you.
what he does in your heart, what he does in your home, what he does in your life. I'm going to ask the musicians to return. and We're going to worship God. In closing this morning, we're going to worship Jesus Christ who went to the cross as our substitute. And then he rose from the grave. That's what Easter is all about. Jesus rose from the dead on Easter Sunday to prove to you and me that death and the devil himself were defeated. He rose from the grave to prove to us that he has absolutely humiliated the devil. And he has given you the power to walk in his power and to live life in total freedom. I mean this with all sincerity and even with a broken heart. If you don't want that treasure, then I just want to say thank you for coming this morning. And I hope you have a great day. But if you're ready for it, if you want the treasure, if you want to get this treasure, then you need to be ready to give everything. Because if you give everything, you get Jesus. Isn't that cool? If you give everything, you get Jesus. And here's the, here's the real, you know, you get him today. You get him right now. You can have him right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to go through any ritual. You just, you get him right now. Jesus, I give you everything. I give you everything. In light of what I've heard this morning, who you are, what you've done for me, and what I've sensed in your presence, you are real. I don't want religion. I don't want more stuff. I just want you. I want you. If that's your heart's desire, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. I'm going to ask Pastor Christian and the team to sing a song, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Can we just all do that? Just close our eyes, bow our heads for a moment, and just lock yourself in with God. You might say, I don't know God, but you know he's here, and he knows you, and he will speak to you. Just quiet your heart. Quiet your heart and allow the Holy Spirit. Believers, I'm going to ask you to be praying. Just praying that hearts will be open this morning. Just close your eyes, bow your head, and would you listen to this beautiful song as they sing?